Uh, Tyler is a, is a public school teacher um, in, in Springfield and just respected, respected in, in your field and, uh, and just a great teacher. And so we're, uh, we're, we're glad for you to teach us this morning. So would you give Tyler nice a hand as he comes and preaches? Thanks, man. Good morning, Westside. How's it going? It's so good to see you guys. Are you guys all ready for Christmas? You got all your gifts purchased? Family's coming over later today, just going to stay for three weeks? Yeah? No? Yeah, me neither. Yeah, okay. You know what? I have this challenge. My wife's birthday is tomorrow. Yeah, so December's intense for me. I was out, like, you know, shopping yesterday. And, you know, it's difficult to buy gifts for people these days. You know, like, um, I don't know, like, my sister, when we were little, she, she peaked. She peeked at her, at her present. She, she got a leather jacket. This must have been the late 80s, I'm guessing. But she got, a late, she got a leather jacket for Christmas. And she figured out the way to, like, open the tape. <laughs> like, I think there was steam involved. I'm not certain, you know, the scientific principles. But she opened the tape. And then she sort of cracked the corner. And it was one of those flimsy boxes. And she peeked. And she's like, leather jacket. I'm going to be cool, OK? Um, and she was like, and she came to me and she said, Tyler, I... I, I, I peeked at my present, I'm getting a leather jacket. And I was like, what? I went straight to my parents. <laughs> mom, Danica peeked at, her, peeked at her, she knows she's getting a leather jacket. And my mom was super ticked. So what do you do as a parent, by the way? Do you like return the gift? Okay, church is about confession. How many of you peeked at a gift at one point in your life? Oh, there you go. Jesus knew that. He already knew all of that. And you too can be saved, okay? Um, <laughs> wow, that was, a, that was a lot of us. There are a lot of peekers. But today, today, um, today it's even easier to peek. Amazon, purchase history. I'm like wondering why I taught my children how to read. Because they, they can like look at their gifts and like figure out what, <laughs> you know, what they're getting. I went to, yesterday I went to, um, I went to the Nordstrom Rack place. I went to Nordstrom Rack for my wife. Do you think I'm on the right track for a birthday gift? Okay, good. So far, so good. <laughs> uh, it's hard to buy clothes for people. But anyways, um, I went there and they said, do you, have a, do you have a phone number registered with us? And I was like, I don't, but my wife does. And then I thought, wait, if I give you my wife's phone number, then she's going to get an alert, right? Probably that I bought something. But if I don't, then we're giving up the points. It was like a classic, like, modern dilemma. Like, I gave her the number. I was like, all right, my wife's number, just, just don't include the receipt. And she said that was possible. So, anyways, um, my wife was like, oh, you went to the right store, I guess she'll say, maybe. Um, and then the packages get delivered. It seems, that, uh, it seems like there's a million ways to, to cheat. Buying secretive presents these days are, are uh, you know, kind of hard for us. Um, but, you know, it's good. You know, life's kind of crazy, and um, I, I, I really, I don't know, you, you guys ever, um, like, my wife's like the coolest person in the whole wide world, but you live next to somebody sometimes, and you, sometimes you, you forget, like, how special your, 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 your wife is or your family are, you know? You ever have that experience? Let me just tell you guys that Brooks and Christy are the neatest people in the whole wide world, and uh, you guys are so fortunate to have them pastor this church. They are so, 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 so great, and I, and I know you know that because when Brooks said, I'm not preaching, you all went, aw, aw, <laughs> like, well, like, pack it up, like, let's go, <laughs> okay? Um, 
He's a great, great guy, and, um, and I, one of the things I really appreciate about Brooks is that he's been um, emphasizing, I know for the last number of years, like the ritual Christian calendar, you know, like it's something really significant that we, I think, have in some ways have lost uh, in modern, modern day, you know, at least maybe the American church, I'm not certain, but, you know, the, the importance of, of the calendar, and in December, we have Advent. Um, my sister... Had a, has a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and my wife and I and the boys, we went out and we bought um, 25 little gifts, and we wrapped them all up, and we mailed them uh, up to him. They live in Seattle, and uh, had his name on the box, and he just, I'll, I'll share at the very end of this message, he just had a little brother, so there's a lot of attention on his little brother, who's um, a month old right now. And, um, and so he had this box, and all of his presents were just, just for him. And what we did was we, we, tried to, um, we tried to have my sister share that with him that um, Advent is, uh, is a special time where we get to think and slow down and think about what it means to be someone who follows Jesus and what Christmas means in this, uh, in this, in this time you know, for us and, and what it can mean in our lives. And there's a lot of cool gifts for him, like little cars and stuff like that. But we gave him a pair of socks. One gift was a pair of socks for him, and then we gave him a little pair of baby socks, and we said, this gift is for you to give the gift to your little brother, because Jesus gives gifts to us every day, you know, it was like that kind of stuff, and we gave them some things to do together, like make a hot cocoa together, and trying to help him at two and a half years old realize how important it is for us to pause and slow down and, and remember the meaning of Christmas, and so every Sunday this month, you guys are looking at Advent, and I'm so honored to be here and share a little bit of thoughts about what it means to expect uh, something that is coming, you know, to expect Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Advent is, is waiting. It's a waiting time. We are terrible at waiting. I am terrible at waiting. You can join in with me in that confession if you'd like. Um, waiting for the arrival of a notable person or event. And that's what, we th that's what we celebrate every year in December. Did you know that there are three creation stories in the Bible? There's a creation story in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, Genesis chapter 1 emphasizes um, the chronology of creation. So if you read Genesis chapter 1, what you're going to read is a bunch of stuff that God takes chaotic chaos and puts it into order. Remember, he separates the water from the land, the, su the sky from, the, from below. And, um, Genesis chapter 2 is this, actually a second creation story. If you read Genesis chapter 2 right after you read Genesis chapter 1, you might be like, wow, I'm sort of reading two different stories here, and they absolutely are. Genesis chapter 2 has a different focus. It has a focus on humanity and the relationship be between um, human beings and God. The relationship between human beings and each other, and the relationship between human beings and what God has created, his creation. But there's a third creation story in the Bible, and it actually comes in the New Testament at the opening of the book of John. And if you brought your Bible, why don't you flip to John chapter 1, where we'll be reading from this morning, just a few verses. And I want to just talk a little bit about this third creation story, okay? So the book of John chapter 1 says, says, uh, says this, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. That has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light uh, shines in the darkness, but the darkness was not, has not understood it. And then we'll skip down to verse 14. And the word, this is the word that was present at the beginning, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can we all say amen together? Amen. I just want to share a couple things about these verses that stand out to me, and I want to make a couple arguments and read a few scriptures that I think um, illustrate these arguments, and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll go out into the world and, and, and seek to, to expectantly wait the arrival of Christmas together. But the first thing I'd like to say is, is that this passage highlights the creative power of God, the creative power of God. John chapter 1 echoes Genesis 1 and 2 in that it captures the creative, life-giving spirit of God. Many of you probably know, but the word for spirit in the Bible actually has a triple meaning. Did you guys know this? The word for spirit in the Bible in the Hebrew is the word ruach. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma, like where we get our word pneumatic, like pneuma, that pneuma. And in Latin, they use the term spiritus. And it, mean, it has triple meaning. It can, mean, um, it can mean wind, like a mighty rushing wind. Think about Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples as a mighty rushing wind. Do you remember that? The Spirit of God, the creative Spirit of God. It can mean breath. It can mean breath. So when you breathe in, you're breathing in the mighty Spirit of God. The, you're breathing in wind. Can you see how people would connotate those two things? And it means your soul or your spirit, right? Because when your breath leaves you, you are no longer alive. You can see how these things, these things come together. So in Genesis chapter 2, when God made man out of the dust of the earth, right? We're made out of the dust of the earth. What did he do to animate this person? Was he alive when he had formed his body like Plato? Like, I have a person. Is the person alive? No. When did the person become alive in Genesis? Do you remember? When God breathed his breath or his wind or his spirit into the nostrils of man, it says that Adam came alive. We become alive when God breathes his spirit into us. And so therefore, God's spirit has a double meaning. It's breath and wind and spirit. And John 1 echoes this creative animating principle. It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and life was the light of men. In him was life. God gives life and light to human beings. As I've gotten older, I've, I've become more of an appreciator of things that are beautiful. I don't know about you guys, but like for me as I've gotten older, things that have symbolism or beauty, I, I, I like cry really easy now. It's super embarrassing. Like I cried like three times this morning already. Brooks is talking about communion. I'm like, yes, Lord. You know, like I cry like that stuff. I cry all the time. I'm a total wimp. Like, look, Tyler's crying again. Yeah, okay. I'm not proud of it. But like things that have beauty and meaning to me really are, um, are they have depth and rich, things that are symbolic. There's this clip on YouTube. You should look it up when you go home. I, I was tempted to show it, but you know, I don't know. There's this clip on YouTube that the first time I saw it, I just like wept. I like cried. And almost every, I think every time I've seen it since, I've cried. 
But it's, um, it's the band U2. I know, it's so stupid. But they were playing, they were playing on, uh, they were playing on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show. You should look this up. So Jimmy Kimmel, okay. Maybe some of you have seen this. And they have, it was on the anniversary of their, uh, one, of, one of their albums. Um, what's the desert album that they have? Yeah, Joshua Tree. Yeah, I think it was on the anniversary of Joshua Tree. And so they had like a huge projected image of the cover of their album behind them. And Jimmy Kimmel was interviewing them. And, and, and at one point, Bono, who's the coolest person ever born other than Jesus, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sacrilegious and true. Bono's like, you're in the way, Jimmy. And he like shoves Jimmy's desk and he just rolls off stage and he grabs a guitar and everyone was like, oh my gosh, Bono's going to play some music. And people were like, this is crazy. And so they all grab their music and they start, I guess he doesn't play guitar. He sings, The Edge grabbed his guitar. Okay. And, um, and so they start playing, they start playing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's a great song. I, th- I feel like I like it, you know, maybe you don't, but I, I like it. But in the middle of this performance, the coolest part about this was it was surprise and everyone's like, I can't believe this in the audience. In the middle of the performance, there were people strategically sat in the audience and they stand up and they start singing a gospel background to this song. And it is just the most beautiful thing. It is so beautiful. And I like cried when I watched it because I was like, how amazing would, you, would it have been to be? And the faces of the people in the audience, they were just like, what is happening? This is amazing. And it's just so, there's something about it. I think it's the gospel singers, but they just, I don't know, they're singing about Jesus. You know, they're singing about the Lord, and it's just so powerful. Thomas Cole is a famous painter from the Hudson River School in 1830, between 1834 and 1836. He painted these massive paintings that are like taller than I am, called the Course of Empire. And over this two-year stretch, you know, are you nodding? You know these paintings. They're, they're, aren't they amazing? And if you look at these paintings, they're like remarkable. They're so beautiful. But what they're, they're a series of five paintings that sort of show, um, you know what they have? They show this like little harbor, this little bay, and it has this really distinctive mountain. And, um, and the first one is called the Savage State. And so there's just like some like little people every once uh, in little places, but they're very, very tiny. And then the next painting is called the Arcadian Empire or the Arcadian or Pastoral State. And it's like people are beginning to settle. And the next one is called Consummation of Empire. And it's like this Greco-Roman uh, imagery everywhere. And then the next one is called Desolation, where it's like war. It goes from like basically uninhabited to like civilization to war. And then the final painting in this series is called Desolation, and it's like a return to nature. Like human beings have destroyed themselves and returned to nature. This is a pretty profound series of paintings, and it's just beautiful. And think that he constructed this series over the course of his career, uh, two years of his career is amazing. Have you guys ever been to D.C.? Have you guys been to D.C.? I get to go to spend D.C. I'm a month in D.C. in, 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 uh, in June and July of this year. It's going to be hot, yeah. Living in Georgetown, it's going to be sweet. Um, but have you ever studied the, the founding of, of, of D.C.? It was, it was made by Pierre, Pierre Charles L'Enfant, and there's so much symbolism in that city, it's, it's crazy. I mean, here, I'll just tell you a couple things. The, the city, are you guys bored? Okay, good. All right. Sometimes I start talking about stuff that I'm excited about, and I like, realize people are bored. We could go on. Do you, know, do you know the city is a picture of federalism? Federalism, you know, you have a national government, and then you have a bunch of state governments underneath. Um, the city itself was designed to be an image of, it's a federal city. You have a gridded streets the way that we have, you know, like straight gridded streets, but superimposed on top of the gridded streets, do you know there are diagonal highways that create these little rotundas, these little, like, these little circles? 
lay in font circle like they have these places there. And so that, even in the design of the streets, it's an image of federalism. It's the states overlaid with the national government. Isn't that beautiful? Everything is marble in D.C. Everything is, but, but everything, so it's elegant, it's elite, it's, 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 it's brilliant, but it's also free. Everything's free in D.C. Well, not everything, I suppose. <laughs> but like if you go to the National Mall, they don't charge you admission to the National Mall. If you go to the Smithsonian Museums, how much does it cost to get in? It's free. So it's this weird blend of both being like this symbolic power center for our country, but it's open to every single person that wants to visit. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know. I'm telling you stories about U2 and Thomas Cole and Washington, D.C., because I actually think that everything that is creative that has been produced by man comes from the same spirit. I think it all comes from the same place. Nothing has been created outside of God. Whether the, the, the person who is used to create these things is aware or not, I think the creative spirit in man is embedded there. It's, it's the spirit of the Lord that he put inside of us, the life and the light of men. And you and I are invited into that creativity. Like you are invited to be a creative person. Did you know that? You might not feel very creative. Sometimes I don't feel very creative. But you, you have that spirit living inside of you that drive to be creative. Think about God's greatest, one of God's greatest gifts to us at all is the participation in the creation of life. Like God designed a system where the thing that God created has the possibility of creating something else, someone else. I mean, there's tons of babies in here. You guys are really good at this. <laughs> right? But isn't that remarkable that God created us with the capacity to create others? I mean, that's just really, really fascinating, and, and, and it's moving to me, and I think it's powerful, and I think it's a part of the Christmas story. The Christmas story in itself, in my view, is one of the most creative stories ever told. God is going to save the cosmos. What's his plan? Well, first, he's going to make a baby. Salvation through a baby. Only God could think of that, and only God could make that work. It's so amazing. The Christmas story, God's plan for redemption and reconciliation of all things, is a story of creative animation. God's, God's giving a spiritual life to us. God breathing his breath into our nostrils so that we become alive. And it's a beautiful picture. Have you ever gotten a do-over in life? Like a chance to do something again better, you know? A chance to, 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 to fix something? Um, in some ways, the birth of Jesus is a, is a, is a, is a do-over. The Bible teaches that the world is broken. I mean, any disagreements there? I mean, there's plenty of evidence to support that. It's hard to argue when we see the deep suffering and depravity that is present in the human condition in both the affluent world and uh, places that experience poverty. Do you guys agree? How, how many of you guys think in some ways affluent parts of this world, suffer, uh, the potential for suffering is greater? 
I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think like it's hard to argue if you don't have access to food, you're, you're suffering greater in an in a existential way. But I think that there's some, something, you know, affluent, people who grow up in affluent communities think that they don't need anybody else. Like, I can take care of all my needs. That is a complete lie. Um, sometimes I wonder about that, but there, there's a deep suffering and depravity in a human condition. So the Bible teaches that the world is broken, but the Bible also teaches that you and I individually are broken. In moments of complete honesty, I, I doubt anyone in here would argue with the reality that you are not perfect. And if you want to argue with me when I say you're not perfect, um, just ask the people that live in your house and they'll tell you the truth. But the Christmas story enters into this broken reality of both a communal and also a personal level. And it's like a, it's like a, it's like a cosmic do-over. Did you know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is like the second Adam? If you guys don't mind, I want to read a couple of verses to you guys. So let's, let's start in, um, sec, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if, if that's okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I, I'll just read it there. Uh, you can turn if you would like to, but I'm going to project it up on the screen. So we're going to read verse, uh, starting in verse 45. So it's written, listen to what the Bible says about Jesus and about Adam. The first, uh, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Who's the last Adam referring to? Very good. Yeah. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, speaking about you and I. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born in the likeness of the earthly man, catch this, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Christians. Isn't that beautiful? It's like a cosmic do-over. Let me flip to Romans chapter 5, and I'll read another example of this. Romans chapter 5, let's start in verse 17. Let me find it in my page here. For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned uh, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in through the, the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result, this is where we lay our hope for Christmas, by the way, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus that many will be made righteous. Can we get an amen for that? So Jesus, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the second Adam. If the first Adam experienced sin and failure and fall of man, then the second Adam would set things right. And we can experience a healthy relationship to God, a healthy relationship to others, and a healthy relationship to creation, and I would argue even a healthy relationship to our own self through the righteousness of one man. Jesus is the second Adam. 
And this is what Advent's all, all about, waiting and expecting that Jesus is the hope of the world. You guys have your Christmas lights up? No. Yes and no, yeah. My, my, my roof is too steep. That's my excuse. <laughs> I tell Lisa, you know, I could put my lights up, but I might die. I feel like my life is more important than lights. And she goes, well, I'm just kidding. I'm just sort of joking. But light's a metaphor that's, that's a theme that goes throughout the, the, the Old and New Testaments, right? Um, l- let, me, let me read you guys just a couple of verses. I'm just going to do this really quickly. But, but light is prophesied. Light is prophesied in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 9 verse 2 says that the people were walking in darkness and have seen a great light on those living in the land and the shadow of death. So this is a, prophe- this is a prophecy of Jesus coming. Like people who are walking in the darkness will see a great light. Um, John chapter 1, which we, which we just read, says that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So Jesus represents light. In John chapter 8, Jesus teaches, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, walk in dark, will, not, will never walk in darkness, but will have light for life. And then light happens in the very closing of the Bible. If you go to Revelation 21, it says, it's describing this like heavenly city, right? This new creation. It says, the city does not need a sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the king of, kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. On no day will its gates shut, for there will never be night. There's never night in heaven, is what it says. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. I was doing some research on light. Let's, Let's show this image if we can. Can we show this image? Science people, don't be too harsh on me, okay? I just Googled this, and so it's on the internet, so we know it's true. Um... But uh, yeah, I thought this was kind of helpful for us this morning because Jesus says that he's the light of the world. So when, when material gets struck with light, there's a few options. It can reflect the light, it can absorb the light, it can transmit the light, and it can scatter the light. To be totally, to be totally honest, TBH, I have no idea what the difference is before, between scattering and transmission. I don't know, I don't know. It seems like the same thing, but maybe I'm wrong, okay. Okay. Um, but I was like looking at this picture and I was thinking to myself, um, I, at different points in my, uh, my uh, journey with the Lord, trying to follow Jesus as best I can, there have been moments where I've needed all of these different things, you know? Like sometimes I just need to just absorb and receive from God. Sometimes what God gives me, um, I need to just reflect to other people. And sometimes what I need to do is like take in something from the Lord and then, uh, and then share it and disperse it with people uh, in my life. But I thought this, this image was kind of helpful. We can, we can kind of take that down. And finally, I, I want to close this morning by, um, by, by giving you, um, uh, let's see, m- maybe a, um, a tendency in my own life and how I read the Bible. So when I read the Bible, a lot of times I tend to read it, uh, it uh, f- from like a very high view, like... Um, 
like a 30,000 foot view, you know? So like, uh, what I mean by that is like, I'm kind of like more drawn to like ideas than maybe like the nitty gritty like uh, impact on like individual decisions. I don't know, is anybody else? Some people are the opposite of me, but I, 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 tend, to, I tend to be like an idea person. I'm really drawn to like big ideas rather than like, um, you know, specifics. Like in a meeting, I love talking about the principles and philosophy behind what we're talking about. I really hate things where we start like wordsmithing documents. That's when I'm like checked out. Does that kind of make sense? Am I, I feel like I didn't explain that well. But anyways, so this next point is for me. And if you're like me, then you guys can join in. But what I want to say is that, that God's plan for reconciliation and, and, and salvation is cosmic in the Bible. Meaning God wants to save everything. If you've read, I think the last time I was here, I read First, First Colossians with you guys, or Colossians chapter 1. It's like a cosmic vision of the supremacy of Christ. I mean, it's all over the place. It's in, it's in John too here. But do you notice this, this, this one line in verse 14? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God, the creator of all things, the animus behind all creative and life-giving force, he humbled himself to become a child, the picture of dependence. And the scriptures teach us that he came not just for all of the cosmos, which he did, but he came for you, like specifically for you and me and the person sitting nearby you. Like he came for you to have your life impacted it's not just kind of like an existential idea that's like floating around like salvation, mankind. Like Christmas is about salvation of all things that have ever been created, but salvation is also about saving you personally. Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament, has a great example. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul gives his resume. He goes, I have a perfect resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day. The peop- I'm, I'm from the people of Israel. I'm the right race. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I got the right family. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm an example. I'm a model for everyone else to follow. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a scholar. I'm highly academic. I have a zeal. I'm super religious. For legalistic righteousness, he says, I'm faultless. Do you know what he's saying when he says that? I've never broken a single religious law. That's impressive. Impressive resume. I read this book called The Road to Character by David Brooks, New York Times author. And he's, he distinguished in here, uh, in his book, in the introduction, between resume virtues and uh, what he called, uh, oh, resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Like, when we die, are they going to read your resume at your funeral? Uh, he graduated from, um, you know, this distinguished university. No, but what, what, what do you think? David, David Brooks makes this argument that we, we emphasize our resume virtues far greater than our, than, our, than our eulogy virtues. Even though we all know that our eulogy virtues, which would be things like how we interact with people and the care and love that we take with people, you know. Well, Paul is the same way. He brags about his background. But you know what's amazing is if you read him some more, guess what the next line is after he's bragging about his resume? He says this, but whatever was to my profit, 
I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. All the stuff I was just bragging about, it's worthless. What, I, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says about his resume. I consider it rubbish or garbage because I can gain Christ and I can be found in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Think about the most impressive resume you've ever seen and then the person who built it and constructed it painstakingly over decades says this resume is garbage compared to being with this baby, to being found in Christ. I cannot relate to that. I'll be really honest. That's hard because I really deeply probably sinfully value my resume. I'll be really honest with you guys this morning. Don't judge me too hard. You guys speak to your presence. You, many of you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, like, I, I, I deeply care about that. And I think, actually, if I was going to be really honest, I care too much about that. It's hard to resist that because our, our culture values that, you know? If you have a pretty good CV, if you've got a pretty great resume... Our culture values those things. If you work your way up at your place of employment, it's hard. But Christ is greater. Here's another place, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says that he was in the midst of constructing his resume, that he was a blasphemer. Wow, a violent man, a persecutor, and that he lived in ignorance. Ladies and gentlemen, Advent is about waiting for Jesus to come to provide salvation to the whole creation, but it's also about waiting for salvation to come and save me right where I'm at. Man, that's what Christmas is about. God wants to save you. It's from cosmic down to the personal. And for me, I'm learning a lot about the personal this year. I shared earlier, I want to conclude now. In fact, I'll invite the band to come up if that's okay. Um, I shared in the opening of this message that my sister has uh, two, two sons. Um, she had a son, uh, one of her sons is about two and a half years old, and her other son uh, is a month old. Had a, he's born in early November. And um, I don't know, I just found so much meaning in there as I was preparing for this message. So her older son's name is Diego Emmanuel. Diego Emmanuel. Do you guys know what the word Emmanuel means? means God is with us. I love that name. It's beautiful, you know. I love that. Diego Emanuel. And I asked my sister if I could share, and she, she said, uh, she and her husband said yes. But my sister has had some, a very um, challenging time having a second child. Um, in fact, um, they, they have lost several children. And, um, and little Avi was born last month. And um, they named... They named him Avi Noah. There's a couple reasons for that. One is uh, Noah is remembered for seeing, uh, for seeing a rainbow, right? And that um, rainbow symbolizes God's faithfulness to his promises. And uh, in a rainbow, uh, there's a term I didn't realize until, you know, these, uh, Danica had this baby, but... Um, a rainbow baby is the child that you have after you've lost a, a previous pregnancy. I didn't know that. And so Noah, these names are deeply symbolic and deeply meaningful. I was like crying when I was writing this message, but I'm an easy crier, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. So Emmanuel, God is with us, and Noah, 
God has promised us something. I was just was thinking about that as we were talking about Advent and expectation. I just was thinking, like, what neat names my sister chose for her, for her boys. Um, like, God is, in fact, if, if you can close your eyes, if you don't mind, let's close our eyes. We get ready to pray here. But, like, maybe, maybe you need to hear this morning. Um, it's helpful to me that God is with us. That Christmas is about God becoming flesh, a man born of spirit, a man of heaven is what the Bible says, whose righteousness can be given to us as the second Adam in a way that sin is a part of our heredity. People who put their faith in God, in Jesus, righteousness can become our inheritance. And God is with us, and God is with us at the cosmic level. But some people this morning need to hear that God is also with you in your heart, like in your person, with just you, when you're all quiet and you're all by yourself and you wonder if anybody cares. The Christmas message is that God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with you. And Noah, that God is a God who honors promises. And he cares. And he sees you when you're hurting. In the midst of trial and challenge. Christmas is that God is with us and that he cares. And in this second week of Advent, we together come together publicly, communally, to express gratitude and hope an expectant waiting that Jesus will come and save this world. Lord God, thank you so much for the promises that you've given us. Let us be people who are faithful. And let us be people who trust you. Let us be people who are deeply impacted by you and your teaching, Father. This Christmas season is, is, is hectic and there's so many distractions for us. But Lord, we ask they would help us to pause and to consider the beautiful, symbolic, and creativity that is the Christian, Christian uh, Christmas message. And thank you for all of these things, Father. Let's all say it together. Amen.